Central. This is Tech Radio. All things computers, gadgets and web happening right now in Ireland. Hear us anytime on iTunes or download from techcentral.ie. How you doing? This is Dusty Rhodes and welcome to Tech Radio, entering our second decade as the number one Irish tech podcast with the latest tech from around Ireland and across the world. We're on air with RTE and online via your favourite podcasting app, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, TuneIn, you'll find us on all of them. Uh, We also keep you up to date daily on all things tech with hourly updates and daily newsletters, which you can grab for free at techcentral.ie. As always, I'm joined by our editor, Niall Kitson, and this week is very exciting as we had the Samsung Unpacked event with three brand new toys. Were you delirious and excited there? No, uh, probably not as much as you because you're the <laughs> Samsung guy in this arrangement. Uh, but there were there were a couple of things that stood out for me. But uh, I mean, what stood out for you? Well, I mean, just everything to be honest. Uh, I would say number one actually was the was the flip phone. Uh, number two was the S twenty, and number three uh, the headphones, which I'm not kind of as wildly excited about. Um, I'll start with the flip phone because we finally have a flip phone that looks good. Okay. Do you think flip phones are back? Is this is this going to be the new novel? Well, this is the whole Galaxy Fold. And I think what they've done is, because the Galaxy Fold, was it was just so big. And even when you folded it over, it was like enormous and it goes out into a big screen. And da, 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 da. Now, the problem with a lot of smartphones today is, I mean, the screens are fantastic at 6.5 inches or whatever, but they're still quite big in your pocket. Mm-hmm. And I think what Samsung have done is they've solved a couple of problems here. They've got a flip phone. Uh, they've brought the size down, um, but they've also made kind of the larger smartphones that we have more pocket friendly, if you like. And as a result, also the price is more consumer friendly as well. And they've solved the folding problem. And they've solved the Well, this remains to be seen. But yes, it looks like they've uh, solved the folding problem. And I really like how it looks. Because when it's folded over, as I say, it fits into your pocket or for the ladies in the, in, in the handbag or whatever. Or man bags, of course, these days. Um, but I like the way they've got a tiny, tiny little screen beside the camera when the phone is folded over and it will tell you if you have a text or a call or whatever uh, notifications that it has there. So that's quite nice. Then when you open it up, you can open it up in three different degrees. So well, I suppose one degree would be full, one not 80 degree flat. Uh, and then maybe you've got a, a 75 degree and then a 90 degree, whatever it happens to be. But in those folded over positions, it is able to act as two separate screens. So you hmm. can have kind of the, the top end of the screen as kind of a, whatever it is that you're watching at, and then the bottom end of the screen could be your keyboard. And I suppose maybe that's the way it is on, on, your, on your flat screen at the moment. <laughs> Here's me thinking they've reinvented the wheel. But it's just nice the, the way that they did the demo. So I thought that was really, really cool. Um Price-wise, I mean, we were looking at the, the Samsung Galaxy Fold was two grand and more. Yeah, yeah. This is down to <laughs> a more reasonable 1,400 quid. A paltry 1,400 a quid. A paltry, fo- well, do you know what? That's a saving of a third. Straight away, uh, it's exclusive uh, in Ireland with uh, three of the only people carrying it, as far as I know, and they're not actually publishing what the price is. Uh, but Samsung say that in dollars, it's $1,380 Um and that usually trans- translates into the same euro-wise. Mm. So I think the, the flip is definitely uh, the most exciting. Then moving on to the second announcement that they made this week, which was the S20 and then the S20 Plus and the S20 Ultra. I love the naming convention. 
Okay. Why? <laughs> it's it's like that movie. I turned up to eleven. What's it called? Spinal Tap. Spinal, Spinal Tap. Tap. Yeah, 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 yeah. You turn all the way to eleven. Most apps go to ten. Uh, Samsung have done that by kind of ditching this whole, you know, S nine, blah blah blah, ten, and gone straight up to S twenty. And I'll be interested to see if Apple follow later on the year and call their new iPhone. Of course, they're not calling their iPhone anything, are they? No, it's just iPhone now. It's just iPhone now. All right, okay, Grant. So maybe Samsung are going to fall into this by calling their phones by the year. So next we'll have the 21. That makes sense. That makes sense. Yeah, so we wait and see. So uh, I'm always interested to see what am I getting for my money compared to what I have at the moment. So the S20, the S10, they're about the same size. They're about the same weight. Uh, the screen is a little better on the S20. Processor's about the same. Everything's a little bit better. Do you know what I mean? Memory's a little bit better. The battery's a little bit better. Um, two things that I, I, straight away, that I think is just strange is the choice of colours is very limited with the S20. Uh, mm-hmm. You've got grey, uh, a cosmic grey, a cloud blue, and a cloud pink. Uh, and if you're a boy, that, of course, is just grey, blue, and plink. <laughs> um, however, the big news for me is the radio guy, the audio guy, the audio jack is gone. It's gone. Now, that is something that you had been baying on as a unique selling point for Samsung over, App- over Apple for a long time. Yes, and uh, I am sad that this day has arrived. Um, Now, in the meantime, I have become a convert of these in-ear, truly wireless Bluetooth headphones because I'm using them now. But you just can't beat the simplicity of a wire that plugs into the phone and the other two ends plug into your ears. It always works. No, it's not that we're used to it. It's like I find with the Bluetooth phones. It's like, okay, I turn on the the headphones and then they've got the sync to the Bluetooth to the phone. It's got to be nearby. uh, Sometimes it works, sometimes it doesn't. Maybe it's trying to connect with something else. Do you know what I mean? Mm, It's kind of like when it works, it works, but you just can't beat it. I'm plugging it into the phone. I'm putting it in my ear. Boom, done. Yeah. So well, I, th- I tell you, one thing that is actually quite interesting about the next generation of Buds is uh, its integration with Spotify and Bixby. Uh, Bixby, the AI that isn't. <laughs> mm. Mm. Uh, basically, it'll detect what you're doing or what time it is and give you a playlist based on what you normally do at that time of the day. So you could have, you know, Dusty's morning playlist at seven o'clock. You put in your, your Buds and it'll start playing that playlist automatically. Because Bixby recognises it's X o'clock. This is what Dusty likes doing at X o'clock. Right. Uh, I'd I, I put that down to gimmick. Okay. Absolutely. Uh, I like the look of the uh, the wireless headphones. Uh, how they sound remains to be heard. They didn't, okay. they didn't excite me. Uh, what really... It's, you're back into this thing, right? And Samsung and Apple both do it where, you know, for these tiny little headphones, you're paying 150, 200 quid. Yeah. Yeah. And people mm. love them. <laughs> and people do love them. But uh, there are lots of, I won't say copies, but other truly wireless Bluetooth headphones on Amazon. Uh, and they're in and around 30 quid. And I bought a pair of them and they are fantastic. Yeah. You know, so yeah. I will keep the extra, you know, whatever, 150 quid in my pocket. Thank you very much. Can we go back to the S20? Yes, we can. <laughs> uh, because there is there is a very big selling point that it has over all the iPhones at the moment. Well, the, the S20 uh, Plus and the S20 Ultra. Actually, hmm. all of them, all of them are 5G by default. No, the S20 isn't. Yeah, it, it, it is. Is it? Yep. I thought, I thought 5G, the, here's the difference, is that you don't have to buy it. 
Okay, so it's going to cost you uh, just over a grand, okay, to get to get the new basic S twenty. But right. if you would like the version without five G, you'll save a hundred quid, and you'd be able to buy it for just over nine hundred quid. Yeah, well, that's that's yeah, okay, right, yeah. I'm I'm looking yep. at the specs here, and mm-hmm. you are indeed correct. Okay, now. Uh, normally, well, last year, what we had was a couple of phones that came out where 5G was an option. So what's changed this time around is that Samsung are shipping it with 5G as standard. And yes. if, if you want to really be a cheapskate and save a couple of quid, whatever. <laughs> that's the way that they're putting it, like, you know. So I think that's good. And I think that actually is going to, um, it's going to take a little bit of time yet. But only last year, like, I think uh, 1% of phones sold last year were 5G. Yeah. So yeah. the fact well, that the they're networks aren't there standard, yet. Well, exactly. So the network's coming and the phone's coming. It'll all, it'll all take time. Uh, the really big thing, as well as the, the 5G, the other big thing is the cameras. They've made huge improvements to the cameras on the phones and they're calling it the biggest upgrade since the S7. Um, with the main uh, 12 megapixel camera and then the ultra wide 12 megapixel camera, what they've done is they've got more pixels and a larger sensor into it. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then the big change is the telephoto lens, which has gone from 12 MP up to 64 megapixels, and it's now giving you three times op- optical zoom. Optical zoom is really where it's at. Uh, two other things that it does, which are very, very important. One is that it does 8K video. Now, most people are kind of going, 8K video? I barely have a HD TV, never mind a 4K TV. What do I need an 8K? To? But when you are video editing... The higher that number, it means that you can actually zoom in on certain parts of the screen and still retain either 4K or HD. Okay, so it it will behave as well as an optical zoom. Is that what you're telling me? Exactly. Exactly. So that's very important. All right. Uh, And then the other thing that they've brought in is a single take mode where you will uh, hit a button and then it will use all three cameras taking a bit of video and various photos of whatever it is the moment that you're uh, you're taking and then you can have a look at them afterwards to decide which is your favorite that's almost like hdr it's not but it's um, almost like it's hdr it's almost like hdr yeah yeah exactly so same 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 kind of idea so yeah it's an interesting i have to say i i like the s20 if somebody was to ask me did i want the s20 or the flip i would go for the flip which would you go for uh, hmm. You see, hmm. the, the future proofer in me would say the S20 Ultra plus 5G. But the thing is nearly seven inches. Like, I mean, it's a fablet. Mm-hmm. Um, so I don't know. I'd probably step down and just go with the S20 um, be just on account of I would expect it to last five years. I don't expect 5G to be with us uh, at consumer grade within five years. Do you not? Or at least the applications that would take advantage of that kind of network. Wow, that's pessimistic. All right, okay, fair enough. (laughs) Fair enough, all right. Well, listen, if you want to uh, get one, and because it's uh, Valentine's weekend, the uh, Z Flip from Galaxy is out this weekend, allegedly. Allegedly. If you've got 1400 quid you want to spend on the nearest and dearest, uh, you can get details at 3.ie. They're the only ones in Ireland who are selling it. Uh, if you want to get your hands on the S20, you can pre-order at the moment with Air. Uh, they're doing, depending on what subscription you sign up to, but you can get it for 350 quid. That's pretty reasonable, all told. Yeah, and you'll have the phone in your hands for St. Patrick's Day as well, so that's not bad at all. All right. There you go, Grant. But listen, that is it for now on uh, a very exciting week. I think you'd agree now. Absolutely. (laughs) 
This is Tech Central, your weekly tech podcast from Ireland's techcentral.ie. Last week, Niall looked at how AI and machine learning were being used to improve our understanding of sports. But of course, there are loads of other applications out there. This week, Niall met up with Hesham Shokri, head of AI engineering at EY, to talk about the next steps for finance, life sciences and more. So far, when we're looking at applications of AI, we're looking at at specific problems or small problems, if you will. It's the doctor looking to make a specific uh, diagnosis. It's somebody maybe looking to uh, push in place maybe an algorithm to uh, identify where his food is coming from without sort of having to interrogate labels every time they visit the shops, for example. However, uh, from your perspective, AI can be used to interrogate much, much bigger problems or, as you were saying, higher-order problems. Right. So, uh, so number one, uh, it depends on the type of information we're looking at. So if you think, if you are analyzing a signal, let's say you're looking at the consumption of energy in Ireland, and what type of questions you can ask, it's simple questions. But if you have a rich set of text, let's say you have, uh, imagine you have a thousand audio calls in a call center, and you want to ask questions if this call center for, let's say, a financial institution like a bank. Um, so the business users in the bank would like to answer. They don't want just to answer how many calls are there. Uh, that's fine. Um, this is the feature-based uh, questions. But if you want to go higher order, you can look at uh, the business users are interested to ask questions like uh, why people are switching uh, business from our bank to other banks, why they are switching mortgages, let's say. Um, and, and based on that, um, here is the actual value you can get. Um, if, if you look, if, if the bank does not have that type of information, which is a rich set of audio files with the agents, the call center agents' notes and um, like hand notes or maybe written notes after each call, they need to give a summary. Well, this information together is rich, and then you will enable, you will be able to build uh, a smarter models um, and, and more accurate models. They can give you um, a more accurate classifications of the topic. They can answer questions like why users are, why in the past months, just direct to that question. Why users are um, calling many times? Number of calls per user over the past six months, let's say, is uh, gone doubled. Let's say so. It, it, these types of questions uh, they, with rich data set, then the models can answer. Now, when I say the model, the model is not uh, one model, one brain. Um, if you think a model as a brain, no, you have a network of brains, network of model, and a single model is uh, itself a neural network. Or maybe, uh, let's say, it's one algorithm, whatever the complexity of that algorithm. But in order to build up that higher order intelligence, you need to put a network of these algorithms to work together. So looking at the example of the call center that you have there, and I guess to companies in general, when you're dealing with a rich data set, you have all this material coming in, and some of it is going to have tremendous business value and some of it is not. To what extent is data wrangling uh, an important issue for businesses? Yeah, so so digital transformation, and, and that's like data quality is, is one of the top 
um, issues and data, data transformation. So if you look at um, the like some of the pillars of digital transformation in general, uh, you'll find data quality, um, data size and storage, um, and data privacy. So if you can go, if you can address these three challenges, you you are at a, like on a good track to to do transformations in your, in your company. Um, so looking at the quality, there are lots of noise. Um, and one reason of the existing of noise is much of this data is collected naturally. Um, think about Internet of Things, like IoT, sensors, um, like tens of thousands of sensors deployed in factories to collect information about the operations of the machines, vibration, pressure, temperature, and uh, and even some image processing as well. Um, this is a natural phenomenon. So much of the information collected will be downtime in the machine. Uh, maybe there are some noise around it. There is vibration in the environment. Uh, temperature is not, it's not it's the ambient temperature. So the, the, the values captured might be biased. So there is noise, and it comes be- because data is collected in a natural environment. Text is the same. So customer calls, let's say customer call centers, it's a, it's an, it's a free running conversation between the agent and the customer. The customer can ask about anything related to their transactions um, and the agent might ask the customer back a number of things. The customer might give some wrong information and then say, oh, I need to correct myself. So there is some unusable information in the middle. So when you t- transcribe this voice to text the computer and if you text computer let's say to classify the topics the customers are talking about you will find some information that are not usable and then here is a task before you feed this information to a model and you train a model with this information you need to strive this out now how you can do that there are a raft of um, different techniques that developers and, um, and data scientists will know on how to clean their data um, I can give you like more examples, but I think these are two rich examples of uh, noise in the data, in the data sets that organization collect and uh, where, where it comes from. You can't prevent it, but you definitely can, uh, can clean it up. So once you've got a, a data set that's been you know, uh, vetted and is, is useful... How do we start figuring out how to move away from asking very small questions to suit very small problems to how to come up with much bigger questions that will stretch the capabilities of an AI to get a much broader approval of a problem or a topic? Yeah, so, so let's let's look at the two sides of, of innovation here. So you have the business users who will need to think about their domain and the business itself. Let's say financial services. Um, somebody might invent a new a new service. Uh, it doesn't have to do any. It has nothing to do with AI or the technology applied. On the very other side, you you might find a researcher in MIT inventing a new algorithm maybe to improve the efficiency of the operations of the models or maybe to detect you know very subtle changes in um, in a signal let's say um, in order to, to like to your question how we can reach to these types of higher order um, knowledge and information and we get we build the intelligence to do that for us um, well, normally, normally you, the researchers are challenged by different types of data. So uh, let's say, let's look at gene therapy. 
let's look at the DNA coding and encode information encoding in DNA it's it's a very different type of information it's all uh, alphabetic ABC and numbers um, and it's 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 nonsense even humans can just digest that um, so in order to to have an algorithm to to answer some information about let's say um, what what are the possible to just discover let's say in drug discovery what are the possible uh, uh, drug combinations that can uh, help or likely to help to cure a specific disease. So they need to look at bioinformatic bio, bioinformations and like a huge amount of bio, bioinformation and try to ask them. Now, if you look at this, the business user is the one who curate the question. And this challenges back the researcher to think about the right algorithm and then if the data is not rich enough, you won't be able to answer that type of question. Now let's look at the other side. If we have a brilliant algorithm and we have a very rich data domain, let's say gene therapy uh, or IoT, let's say, um, and without having a business user in the loop to be able to think about the business, to be able to think about the add value, the real add value of the technology, the researchers will just go astray in directions that is like fancy directions this is not adding really value to the business it's nice thing it's fancy but it's not adding value to the business so the three elements need to come together rich data uh, skills and expertise and the third one is the business domain user I think the, this is the uh, model that uh, is being referred to as data ops at the moment, sort of taking the uh, practices that are working in software development and then applying them to a, a slightly more esoteric uh, discipline as data science. Exactly, that's right. Um, so if you look at when the software came in place, um, like we are running in a similar cycle as in maybe 20 or 30 years ago. Uh, software has a similar challenge and it, it did answer some many uh, questions in the industry, uh, in the financial, like financial services were one of the first industry that applied software. Uh, let's say Excel, let's say Microsoft Excel is a prim, prim, premium example here. Uh, so a role like the chief data officer, um, they, they, there is, they need to look, or actually that's what, they happen, what happened, they look at the engineering side of things. So they're not inventing new algorithms, they're not uh, modeling a new problem, but they are engineering the, a number of stages where the, the flow of development needs to go in in order to start from a business problem and a storage or repository of data and then you, you, you get to the end of a running system. And this system, a running system means a system that includes models, includes data repository, includes validation algorithm, sorry, validation scripts, and it, it does also include a proper user interface for the end users to use. So they, they, look, at the, uh, they look at the data science from engineering viewpoint, not from the science viewpoint. We just say data science as, as a, a general term for or the practice of um, dealing with data. Um, but also, I don't want to disconnect this from the CIO because increasingly 
well, information technology and uh, having um, organizations now, they, they, they became, like last year, 10 years, organizations started to become IT-driven, even, even though their business is not IT. Now, the CIO role became, became a prominent role, and it, it started to go up to the board level. Um, because decisions that are made at that level will impact all the business going forward. Um, so even though the CDO role is very important, the CIO, Chief Information Officer, is critically important to assure security, privacy, um, which we do have, like Europe is very advanced in terms of regulations about privacy in different industries, in medical industry, in, um, in the clinical side of medical industry, um, and financial services as well. Um, so I see the CDO and the CIO roles need to work side by side in order to um, help the organizations like avoid, avoid the pitfalls. So we've looked there at sort of the necessary the necessity of quality material to uh, to work with uh, a quality structure in which businesses can interrogate this data and come up with workable insights. But we also have to look at the quality of the insights that come out because you know data that goes into a system isn't mediated by ethics, for example. So the solutions you might get out of um, uh, a particular question might actually be ethical or practical in uh, application. So how do companies deal with um, this particular issue? You know, where does ethics appear uh, in the pipeline? Well, uh, th- there is uh, <clears throat> there is a famous saying in data science: um, "Garbage in, garbage out." So the models will learn what we what we teach it about. Um, so I give you an example about the ethics. There are many examples, but look, the most prominent example I remember. Um, it was um, it was an HR in a big organization, like one of the biggest organizations um, uh, today, and they, they they run an HR system, automated HR system, like um, they, they, it used a model, and the model um, what the model has been teach uh, taught about is they fed uh, like around like few hundred. Uh, CVs and decisions about these CVs being hired or not. Just looking at the final decision, has this has this candidate been hired or not? Um, and then they said, great. So based on our history, our experience, we hired the greatest people in the world. So we want this experience to put it in a model, and then we continue to do that. So we receive um, thousands of CVs per day, and we want to filter this to the level of um, ten, tens of CVs rather than thousands of CVs. And what happened is the results when people started to audit the results, they found like there is there is some discrimination in the results. They found like people with color, uh, sometimes the model reject them um, and when they look at their CV they have the skills and then they went back into the decisions because people like said, why the model would behave this way they went back and they started to analyze the input, they found some cases, like humans people who probably didn't like the candidate or in the interview the candidate spoke in an accent they didn't like and they just got biased and they rejected the CV and that decision should have been cleaned out of the input information to the model but the, the problem is we, we, we told the model whatever information we have and that's wrong so if you control the intake 
of data to the model and the training time, you will be that's the best way to guarantee a high level of quality in the output. Now, this quality could be uh, in terms of accuracy and in terms of ethics. Now, accuracy is controllable to some extent because we can test the model. We always have a training data set and test data set. But we don't have, a, normally, we don't have a test data sets for ethics or for, um, you know, uh, things that are related to emotions. We, we don't. And normally, it's very difficult. You have to curate this data set. So, instead of just going, I think, um, solving the problem uh, after math, so better to like control the intake of input to the model. That really raises the issue of you know political climate and social climate. How far back do you decide to, to use data? Because societies change at such a level that you know maybe, maybe cultural norms even five years ago are outdated and you know would indicate some level of bias, either consciously or unconsciously. Well, climate change is 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 kind of a very strange topic, and sometimes I myself don't get why people don't see the the problem with climate change. Um, on that regard, I think we we <clears throat> I think we haven't presented the the impact of climate change enough to people to start to appreciate uh, what's going to happen in the next three to five years, and even the acceleration. We 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 are presenting it in a linear way. That means we say this is happening today, tomorrow. The, we predict that th- this is going to happen, but we are not presenting the rate of change of our own predictions. So every time, every year, people say, reporting on climate change, they say, last year we expected, let's say, the, the temperature in the world overall will raise, let's say, one degree. And actually this year we discovered it raised one and a half degrees. And we expect in future it will raise by... Um, another level when they go to next year they speak about the last year so our expectations were and this is all recorded like this is documented if we analyze this and we present the the rate of of making of underestimating the change in climate I think that's way better than saying we predict the model that we have models that can predict the future in this way and I and, and and one of the things how we can alleviate this is instead of just building models and keep asking them the same questions we should keep these models live so we should we should feed the models by the results by their own results and there there's something in uh, in neuronets called recurrent neural networks where you get the output of the model you add a piece of data to that output and you feed it back to the model it's feedback neural networks where the network will learn from its own decisions and that's that's a live model um, and from new data so its own decision plus new data and then the model will improve uh, and i think in this way, the predictions will really catch up with what's actually happening in the climate change.
And that was Niall Kitten chatting with Hesham Shokri, the head of AI engineering with EY. That's it for our show this week. Remember, you can get the lowdown on all things tech in Ireland with hourly updates, daily newsletters and more at our website, techcentral.ie. Or listen to us each week online or Fridays on DAB Digital Radio with RTE Radio Next. Until next time, from myself, Dusty, and from Niall Kitson, thanks so much for listening and have a great weekend. Get Tech Radio. Subscribe for free with iTunes or download on demand at techcentral.ie. Tech Radio is produced by digitalaudioproductions.com. Tech Central.